Mind Crime Wicked Show with me, Tony Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're joined by Terminal Philosophy to discuss the euphoro dilemma of music, film, and writing. Tim, so what on earth is the euthero dilemma of writing, film, and music? Well, the euphoro dilemma is an ancient Greek uh, thing come up by Socrates and Plato in one of the dialogues and asked the question, is the pious loved by the gods because it is pious, or is it pious because it is loved by the gods? You could try to argue this is a false dilemma, and that's one of the ways out of this, this situation here. Um, and in the monotheistic context, you just replace gods with God. Um, um, and and let's think if we want to think about culture, art, films, music, and so forth. Here is beautiful art or good art, something which um, has some sort of. And we will try to atheize it too, to some extent, if we want to. Although you could keep the theistic content in if you too. Is good art is there some independent standard of objective art? Or is good art merely that which the elites of a given time and day say is good art? You know, you could also include countercultural elites here. You know, I think people, you know, there are you can you, you can find them here. So, so for example, this is a quick, quick, dirty example here. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, the New York Times has praised the Netflix series on Fauci. I think it's a Netflix series on Fauci. Now, I, I don't think this is going to stand up to time as being a great series, whether or not you think all the particularities of the uh, of what what happened in the last three, four years now, uh, three years now, um, is the case or isn't the case. It, it's probably just relatively bland storytelling in that sense here. Um, so, so one question you could ask is the historical question. One test of what 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 is good art is to say, was the art good at the time when it was made, and is the art good now? Uh, one of the things which I think conservatives, and Thaddeus Russell at times is very good at pointing this out, is that in the past, you know, the crass art, the popular art, like the five and dime things during the 1800s were very popular here. Um, so, you know, this would, this would be the fast food of the 1800s here to the, to the literary. Now, again, literary rates differed over time, of course, but um, the kind of, uh, you know, crass art, uh, like the five and dimes, which was sort of like proto-erotica almost of the day here. So you can find crass art in the past here. So so it's not it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. And the uh, art that we associate with the past, like the quote-unquote good art, um, that te- may not have been as popular at the time. There's a trope about certain artists being poor, dying poor here, and having their works liked later on. That's Whether that's empirically true of all Artist is a good question, but it is there's enough examples you can point to, or you could easily say that is the case on a personal level because because you know I'm part of society, I'm an individual too. There are art that I like, music, films, books, and stuff that not everyone else likes. In particularly elites like, and in particularly countercultural elites here. So this is a fairly elementary point, but there's some disagreement about what counts as good art. Uh, you know, some people like G.K. Chesterton. Some people don't like G.K. Chesterton. I recently read the book, uh, The Man Who Was Thursday, and I really loved it. thought it was 10 out of 10. I tried to read another piece of G.K. Chesterton because I liked that one. I thought it was terrible, and I couldn't get through the first few uh, chapters here. I like Orwell a lot. Um, some people who I, I also respect think 
don't think he is as good as people say he is, for example. And when the things comes to music and films, the same thing goes, the same things at play. I probably like music, which is some certain amount of music, which is considered trashy by certain people. Adorno, Roger Scruton might say that certain types of music I like is, you know, we did an episode of Right Ruminations on uh, music of maybe two years ago now, or even three years ago now. Um, so my first question here, is good art merely a matter of taste, which has lots of variety? Because uh, because you could say, well, some people like chicken, other people like fish. There could be reasons that fish is good, there could be reasons that chicken is good. And some like it, and you could say, well, it's the cooking method. Some like it fried, some people like it seared. Um, now, obviously, straight up poison isn't good art, isn't, isn't good. Uh, unless maybe you de desire self-destruction, so maybe poisonous fish is good fish. Um, um, so, so TP here, you know, you do agree that in a sense, what counts as good art varies in times, places, and different people within the places here. Um, so, what what do you make about the 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 Euphor dilemma of art? Do you think it's a, a first of all a valid analogy, and is good art a mere the one one view out of this? Is just say, well, it's just tastes. TP, thanks for being on here. Hey there. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me back. As always, um, I will just, I will just say first of all that you know uh, superimposing the Euphorio uh, dilemma over art is very interesting. Uh, you know, you might get dinged or, you know, needlessly nitpicked by other people who read philosophy that that's a, uh, that's an unnecessary or an inappropriate, uh, formula to analyze art and aesthetics and things like that. But, uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a totally valid question just given the stage in history that we're at. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, uh, much of what makes good art good art is you know highly dependent on taste and uh one's own background and things like that um you know uh, of course a lot of conversations like this that involve uh especially taste in music in the modern day are related around uh you know the discussion of pop music and whether you know pop music is is really good or if it's all bad or if there's some sort of gray area there and uh you know i tend to think that there's definitely some gray area um but i i will say that while it's not objectively true that mozart and bach and uh uh wagner and uh and plenty of other uh, composers and things like that uh, which most people consider to be you know great art great music um which you know and i i fall in that camp as well um you know there is of course the second category of where you know art is just highly contingent on one's own culture things like that like hip-hop uh metal uh synth wave uh video game soundtracks what have you so um yeah and again this is not to uh uh this is not to appeal uh towards relativism because obviously that's something i I'm ultimately not uh, a subscriber of, but yeah, it it is absolutely highly dependent on one's own uh, one's own taste. Um, and what you were saying earlier about, uh, I think you had mentioned either it was either the New York Times or maybe it was like Rotten Tomatoes uh, with uh, giving 
Fauci praise on his uh, his own. I think you mentioned it was an autobiography. Um, yeah, clearly there's some trickery here going on, which is that there is what is deemed publicly acceptable is really just publicly acceptable, or it's it, it's only praised by uh, many of today's cultural and political and uh, social leaders, and that includes you know the unappealing likes of people who run the uh, you know these you know, the, the e-channel, you know, like the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood archetypes, uh, people who've never, you know, maybe have never listened to, say, Pink Floyd or, you know, more universally or maybe not universally, but widely popular bands. They may they may have never heard of those bands, but they certainly love Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and things like that. So, um yeah, unfortunately, there is the phenomenon of, I guess you could say, the, I don't know, the cultural elite have a very fixed bandwidth on what is, uh, what, you know, what should be played constantly. And, and uh, these, this, this pop music, you know, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, uh, insert your, you know, favorite comparison to those artists they follow a very specific simplistic formula and you know these people don't even write their own music their uh their music is uh purchased by record labels and those record labels purchase them from uh industry tested and and accepted uh songwriters who follow very similar formulas of song structure and uh melody and things like that so so yes i think part of your question is addressing uh you know, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but you know, what are we to make of the uh, of the modern society's uh, definition of good art? And then there's sort of, I guess you could say, the rest of us who actually have cast a very wide net in terms of uh, musical and artistic interests. And there's definitely a wide gap there, and why there is a gap there is. Uh, I, I suppose that's what par- partially what we're addressing today, and I think it has to do with. Um, it's really difficult to word it, but I think it has something to do with, uh, like, very you know what 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 business or record label people or artistic people will deem is uh, just commercially, or what will be commercially successful, whereas they don't want to take risks risks on things that are. Uh, I guess you could say more uh, unconventional or perhaps a, a monetary risk. And, you know, say the artist uh, who wrote the Blade Runner soundtrack, Vangelis, is probably a much higher risk than uh, getting behind someone like Britney Spears. So <laughs> there you have it for my for my opening salvo. I do think taste very much does play a part. I don't think um, that's avoidable. Uh, as you say, some people like fish, some people like steak and be beef etc however what i would say is there is generally a good way or a better way of cooking steak and there is a better way of cooking fish now i might recognize that this is actually a very good version of fish um but actually not like it as much as a well done steak by well done just listen i don't mean well done okay Uh, i'm not butchering it um so uh, 
I, I think what we need to do here is to recognize good versions of things. Now, then the question is, well, are there some versions of things which are inherently better than each other? That might be a more difficult question. But when it comes to things like pop music and things, as TP has pointed out, um, I think there are good versions of pop music that have you know, a clean, strong melody, uh, for instance, um, and it's generally well constructed. Now, is that as good as a symphony, for instance? Well, probably not, but doesn't mean that it's without value. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, an appropriate um, distinction to make. Um, on just on um, on kind of a subjectivity and things, I think this is an interesting quote uh, that Hildebrand um, quotes C.S. Lewis in um, to to say, um, and uh, Lewis is taking on the view that um, when we say something is a good art, or whatever, what we're really doing is describing um, what our internal feelings are when we behold or listen to or watch some form of art um uh, and so lewis tate has a, an interesting uh, responses now not every form of relativism necessarily would have to help hold this position but i think it's interesting an interesting quote um even on their own view or on any conceivable view the man who says this is sublime cannot mean i have sublime feelings even if it were granted that such qualities of sublimity were simply and solely projected into things from our own emotions, yet the emotions which prompt the projection are the correlatives, and therefore almost the opposites of the qualities projected. The feelings which make a man call an object sublime are not sublime feelings, but feelings of veneration. If this is, is sublime is to be reduced at at all to a statement about the speaker's feelings, the proper translation would, would be, I have humble feelings. If a view held by Gaius and Titius were consistently applied, it would lead to obvious absurdities. It would force him to maintain that you are contemptible means I have contemptible feelings. And in fact, your feelings are, are contemptible means my feelings are contemptible. End quote. So going down sort of the, um, the subjectivist, emotivist line of, well, all there is, there is no sort of object that you are actually describing or you're really describing as, you, as your emotional response to it is um, is, is self-refuting. Um, another way of looking at uh, sort of art and sort of beauty and things which um, uh, may be of interest is uh, Aquinas's view uh, of, uh, of beauty. Now he, he says very easily you know, that um, beauty is that which gives pleasure when seen which is kind of well okay tell me more um he he highlights that it's it's um located in intelligence of a sort of the rational mind um so to quote um this is oh yes yeah, since this is aquinas uh, beauty consists in due proportion for the sense delight in duly in duly proportions as is as in what is after their own kind because every sense is a sort of reason just uh, as it is in every cognitive um, faculty. Now, since knowledge is by assimilation and the similarity relates to form, beauty properly belongs to the nature of a formal cause. So going back to Aristotle, you, you mentioned uh, before, um, formal, final, um, 
efficient cause. The idea of, of Aquinas is that, you know, and this is what I think I was getting at to some extent with the various forms of music is, it's whatever is due to that particular form. Uh, and if it does that well, then it is in a certain sense beautiful. I mean, he, he develops as well his idea of beauty into sort of actuality, proportion, radiance and integrity. Um, actuality, just it, it, um, it um, doesn't merely have things in potential. It actually, actually the ground of beauty, it, it doesn't lack anything that um, it, 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 it should have. Well, if it's perfectly beautiful, that is. Um, and, um, you know, proportion is mentioned, you know, harmony. I mean, you can see that in architecture, the golden ratio is a good example of that. Um, and sort of like radiance was just, uh, you know, for example, um, if you like a, a human being has a particular color of skin, sort of radiance, it's, it's in due to what it is to be a human, sort of a beautiful human. That's a very, very, very quick overview. But I, I, I think it's an interesting way. And I, and I do think the idea of formal causes is, is, is kind of relevant here because it kind of treats it as a, as a substantial whole, whereas sort of more relativistic theories um, can revolve just to that sort of emotivist uh, position, which I think uh, Lewis rightly criticizes. The comments on Lewis uh, I, were interesting. Um, now I'll move, I'll move on to my second question, which I think will somewhat answer to some extent your, your, your most recent comments here, or at least attempt to. Um, is what is good considered man- manufactured via power by dominant culture? Uh, so, so you know, I think I, I think you're both aware of the, the Chomsky. Actually, I know if, you know we've discussed the Chomsky versus uh, Foucault debate here. And one of the things topics on that was justice, and you know, of course, Foucault takes a very power oriented view of justice. Justice is is just basically what um, the power elite say is what powerful here. That's actually one of what Socrates' interlocutors. Uh, says to go back to the Euphro dilemma, um, you know, pious. You know, the, the second leg of this dilemma is 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 pious really only good because the gods decree it is it is has to be good. Um, there's no independent stance. So if God, you know, decreed that um, the not golden ratio was good, um, then people would then either think that or not think that. And if you didn't think that, then you weren't godly. Um, so that'd be a kind of quick way to out of it here. So then he, I guess you have to ask the question, like, who are the elites here? Here, um, um, Because currently, in this context, and I checked the, the tomato rating, tomato rating, and it has an 86 critic consensus. And some of the critics, for example, are CNN, and Brian Lowry on that Fauci documentary writes, um, uh, he, he's top critic, and he gives it a full... Uh, good, good rating. Same way with the Guardian. Same way with the Sunday Times. Um, they all give a. Uh, Fauci is a refreshing figure and a standard bearer for the truth. Peter Bradshaw of the Guardian, top critic. Um, so these are the top critics of today. What they're saying of a uh, a film today. Will they think that in sixty years? Here, now if you think that in sixty, I mean, this is sort of like goes into sort of Orwellian understandings of truth here. You know, uh, in that sense here, but. As the people like Thaddeus Russell, I make no qualms that I, I think Thaddeus Russell, for all his faults, is quite an ingenious historian and, dare I say, somewhat philosopher, will make the point that about the origin of culture in the United States, that crass culture became the dominant culture at some point. Um, 
slaves, Jews, and all things. And you could get conspiratorial about that if you want to. And I think that's perfectly reasonable to do so if you really want to. Um, but, um, you know, we have a, what was considered low culture has become high culture, which is kind of weird. Um, barbecue is an example of that, too. But, you know, also the Beatles. Uh, this is another example where you have, like, symphony orchestras playing the Beatles here. Now, I think Beatles are actually quite good. I thought that for when I was a kid as well. I think they're still, maybe not the later ones, but, you know, you see elites saying they like Beatles. You see, like, the New York Symphony or something like the London Symphony playing the Beatles. Um, so there's a sort of reverse signaling happening with elites here. Um, I think the, the the praising Fauci overly, like, a movie film like that, I usually use this example, but I think you could use that for other films, too, the sort of obviously politically correct films. Um, this is sort of like, I guess the analogy would be, like, historically having religious films be praised here. But I do think that is a side effect that at certain times there are people who genuinely enjoyed watching that documentary. I don't deny that. There are people who enjoy, genuinely enjoyed watching that, what I would call piece of propaganda. But other, and we did an episode on propaganda, but some people would say that's good art. Some people say the Soviet films, which I think there are good Soviet films. Um, I think Metropolis, I watched that in German class. I thought it was actually quite interesting. I, well made here. Um, that's good art, even though it's a sort of communist film. Although you could say it's an anarchist film, too. But um, that will be my question, second question. I should have answered somewhat what I would think. It's with them. Uh, eternal philosophy. You know, is the is what is good be a, is just power? Is that is that an appropriate thing? I think on some level, at some times, it has to be that case. But then, if you go all the way on this criticism, which is what the critics of Thaddeus Russell would say, you're just a relativists, and that's what Chomsky said to Foucault as well. You're just a relativist here. You know, then there is no real standard of justice, beauty out there. Then it is ultimately whatever the New York Times or the Catholic Church or whatever Orwell's agency, the Ministry of Truth, says is good, and that's what we just are sort of force-fed here. I mean, maybe there, maybe there is no way out there. But on a practical, pragmatic level, I think there are many instances where it is quite clear that power just dictates what is good. TP. Yeah, I think uh, I think living in the modern age makes um, thinking about and listening to art from from past eras uh, it makes it interesting. I, I'd say for one, I think the amount you know the volume of art and music and aesthetics that's available to us now is much much higher. I think that's you know self evident than it was say you know during the days of of Mozart and uh, you know the great classical composers. So, um, in one sense, you could say, you know, if you were to ask people what is good art uh, back then, well, they don't have as much of a massive, uh, you know, uh, sample or collection that we do, and so we are kind of left with a, a much more difficult task of of declaring what is good and bad art. So in those days there was uh there was only so you know there's only so much music and art to be available so that small sample uh that that can make it either limiting or it could make it you know a potentially like a a you know a, a gold standard for what art should be and i think there can be um arguments made uh both in favor and against that um you know just as kind of an anecdote 
in the 90s, I think he's retired now, but uh, there's a really famous film critic named Leonard Maltin, who, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a film critic and often had exclusive interviews with uh, directors, actors, act- actresses, uh, producers, things like that. And I think what made Leonard Maltin so popular uh, was that his uh, praise or dismissal of films was very accessible to the general public. Uh, you know, he was not pretentious or condescending and, you know, he wasn't constantly employing, uh, you know, $400 adjectives and, and things like that. He, he was very, uh, uh, very, very much on the same uh, playing field uh, in, in the sense that uh, his work was understandable to the average uh, person. So, the reason why I bring him up is that uh, um, there's I, I, you could say uh, with your comments earlier with about Thaddeus Russell's claim, which you know, crass culture kind of became high culture, and there's sort of this uh, there's this polarity shift, and I, I, I tend to agree with that one hundred percent. I think that there really is now a much much wider gap. Uh, now here in in the present day than there was say in the 1950s or 60s uh you know with old school conservatives uh even uh poo-pooing things like uh blues or early early rock and roll uh you know the the type of music that you would hear on back to the future when marty mcfly goes to the 50s or something like that so there may have been a gap then, but the gap now is so incredibly wide. And what I believe explains that gap is obviously the the power structures uh, that are in place. Because there's something of a uh, there's like there's this sanitizing and xeroxing of uh, of pop music nowadays, and and even art. Uh, when you go onto you know YouTube, and and if you're if you're just watching a, a youtube uh show that it, it could it could or a video it could be about anything it could be about uh you know the economics of china and and there will be a quaint british fellow uh reading a script and then there will be like very like cheap and surface level crappy cartoons that are so bubbly and featureless and very reminiscent of modern capitalistic corporate art where you know the legs and arms are just these massive blobs and that doesn't uh, reflect or seem to be based off of any previous art style. It's just so uh, sanitized that it's just—it's not supposed to relate to anyone. It's just supposed to be this universal stand-in for for happy people, and this is how, or 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 the, or, or even for uh, you know, like this is how you consume information with a visual aid. And so there has been this uh, this sort of race to the bottom where people want just things so quickly and the quality of things has been uh, dispensed with because that takes more time to deal with. You'll have to pay for artists who are capable of X, Y, and Z. And so this standardization that I'm attempting to explain has been properly identified by the power structure as something that just, uh, as, as a way of pumping out material at a very high rate without having to uh, contend with the challenges that come with creating uh, things of more quality, at least what I'd argue. Yes, of course, that's a matter of, uh, of opinion and subjectivity, but, but I, I think even now 
even a a Gen X person who likes to watch uh, uh, YouTube or Twitch streamers, uh, they will notice this sort of ubiquitous uh, art style and aesthetic style that is so, uh, yeah, again, the best, the best words I can use for it just, it, it, it's so sanitized and so uh, boring and kind of featureless that it, it's just used as a way of pumping out uh, uh, quantity rather than quality. And uh, now with the people in charge in this power structure, they know, I mean, they, they may not even like uh, any of the music that their their businesses or their investors uh, you know, are, are throwing money at, but uh, it just helps keep their power and influence and money flow uh, secure for the time being. And there's no, you know, there, there's vague goals. You know, I, I think I've said this before with another podcasts and uh, with Todd and Keith, but, you know, just as democracies have very short term goal, like vague short term goals and very theoretical uh nebulous long-term goals this can easily be applied to those who run the entertainment industry and those who are you know part of the upper tier of the artistic class and that is i guess there there's probably a few things that explain that i i guess i suppose that could be explained in part by capitalistic uh ideas of art and money making and it could also be explained by the modern person's willingness or i i guess it you know uh, the the impatience of modern people is what i would really just boil it down to is that people um because of the internet and smartphones and the ability to have uh, food delivered to your door and uh you've got the internet people want things now 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 and I think that that has a negative effect and creates a a a lacking uh, criteria for what I think the three of us would roughly consider good art. And so I, I think that you know there's probably other reasons as well. But uh, yeah, that that's what I would uh, I don't know. That's what I have to say in regards to how power or those who are in charge or who run these industries that control art i think that that uh i think that there's some explanatory uh weight there i think one uh thing to note uh with art sort of post-war is um is very much uh, democratized and i think that's partially why the elites want to look like they like common things like the Beatles and other things like that, um, because it means that they are of the people. Um, prior to, say, the Second World War, especially the First World War, uh, it was clearly much more aristocratic. And, it, yeah, it was fine if you, well, what do you like, Verdi, you know, in, like, the early 20th century? It's like, well, yeah, of course you are. Of course that's what you'd say, you're an aristocrat. Um, so I, I think that's a big uh, part of it. Um, that said, so so I, I do think those popular things are popular with elites that they otherwise wouldn't uh, be. But it's also true that uh, in the narrative arts in particular from the early 20th century onwards, there's actually a big sort of um, um, 
hewning, I can't remember the right term, uh, segregation between high and low art, which previously didn't exist. Um, I think this is, comes from the uh, sort of the high artists who, uh, the, well, what I'm thinking here primarily is um, those sorts of uh, narrative art styles that basically get rid of narrative because narrative is crass and, and lowbrow. And also those in the music world who've seen that melody is kitsch and boring. And so therefore we need to invent uh, intellectually stimulating music like serialism. Um, you, you, you get that uh, move. So it's, it's kind of a bit weird. You, you, you have people championing um, uh, sort of, as it were, low art, um, but then also this sort of high art, which is even more inaccessible than opera. For, oh, I, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable statement. I, I really don't think, I really think opera is significantly more accessible than serialism or, or some of the sort of uh, lacking in standard tonality music. I, I, I think that clearly obvious. Um, with critics as well, though, I mean, they're kind of weird. I mean, back in the 70s, for instance, they poo-pooed Star Wars, but then they all got on the bandwagon to support, um, well, The Last Jedi in particular. But I think things are more overtly political now in crit in the critical um, uh, area, whereas they previously weren't. I mean, clearly they were always progressive in the main. And so they'd always support like feminist films and stuff like that. But it, it's it's so much more of a battleground now than it was historically. And it's gone particularly like that since, well, actually only relatively recently, probably the early 2010s. Um, and so they have to sort of champion things for on side. I mean, clearly with the Corona, like the Fauci documentary, I mean, clearly that's artistically, well, I say this, I haven't seen it, but almost certainly is artistically worthless. Um, but, you know, it's on the right side. So it's basically a piece of propaganda. As you pointed out, though, Tim, I mean, the, the, the Russian, some of the Russian, we mentioned um, Metropolis. Metropolis is a, is a Fritz Lang film. It was German. Um, what you may have been thinking, well, Metropolis is actually quite interesting, but the one that's well most well-regarded from the Russian films is a Sergei Eisenstein film, um, Battleship Potemkin, which did appear in Sight and Sound's top 10 films of all time for quite a long time, um, which is basically about, you know, the glory of communist revolution. Uh, it's very um, um, innovative, I think, in, in its techniques. And I think this is one thing as well, which is interesting when it comes to great art. Um, Sight and Sound, again, released their top 100 films of all time. But this time, again, following the 2012 one, with the most diverse people they could ask with critics and, and everything. Uh, and some of them that are... Um, uh, in the, yeah, so uh, here we go. There's a Russian film, um, 1929, um, Man with a Movie Camera, which I haven't seen. Um, but some of the really early ones, um, like uh, Nosferatu is probably, I don't think it ever got that high. But there's some things that are considered great, not because they're actually that great, just because they're innovative and and they were groundbreaking, which is true. So I think they're, they're relevant in a historical sense. I just don't think they're necessarily that, um, that artistically brilliant, even if they were sort of um, innovative and groundbreaking and using new techniques at the time. Uh, one other thing with, well, with just uh, with the critics, um, 
one I used to listen to a film podcast for a long time with a guy called Mark Kermode, who's a well-known critic in the UK. One of the most interesting things that happened was on the podcast, he had a debate with another film critic, who was also quite an interesting guy, called Robbie Cohen, as to whether or not the film, the horror film Hereditary was good or not. Which is interesting because one of the few times you have a couple of critics actually arguing why something is good and why something is bad. Um, which I think is interesting because they seem to have sort of reasonable positions as to why it worked and why it didn't. Uh, Como was criticising sort of its plot. It's too much on the nose explaining what's happening at the time uh, with the particular use of a, a doormat from memory. Uh, and I think Como is actually ultimately correct in there. But I do think it's interesting having two people who clearly know a lot about films, even though I think their critical judgments are not, I, not, well, not mine. Um, they know a lot and can articulate why they think something is good, why something is bad, which I think um, means that there is at least something there which is worth worthy of discussion or debate. It isn't merely subjective. Even though you might have some sort of subjective responses to it, there is sort of an object uh, that's there. That was a bit scattered, but uh, I think that answers a lot of the questions you posed. My third question here will be the final one here is, who decides what is good and what is isn't? Hollywood executives, Harvard intellectuals, the New York Times, Oxford, Cambridge. I mean, you could, you know, uh, a cabal of Satanists and pedophile executives, Rotten Tomatoes, the Claremont Review of Books. That's, I think, Paul Gottfried's um, vice. I mean, I listed the various, you know, organizations which put out, uh, uh, which either create films or uh, in turn, uh, criticize or praise and condone or and so forth, various works of art, films, movies, books, etc. I mean, films are probably the dominant form of, of. I don't think that's a controversial statement to make that the films are the, probably the dominant form of art today here, in the sense of the popular, as well as the elite elite domain here, um, as well as music too, um, popular music as well. Um, so you have the sort of production function of, of music, you know, what gets made, what doesn't get made here. There was only a certain amount of funds, um, you know, you could go full Kevin Carson or go full Karl Marx or go full uh, Sean Gabb here and just try to sit, well, think otherwise here. But there is some level of scarcity here. Not everything's going to get made. So there is a question of what gets made. Um, um, and then and then once it gets made, and then, you know, who who or whom gets to decide what what is good or isn't good? I, I, I'm always of two minds on an individual level here of whether I should review, read reviews of books or movies before I buy them. Now, if I'm buying a part for like a like a physical part, like a physical industrial good, um, like a bottom bracket or something like that, I read the reviews on Amazon. You know, if I'm buying a pillow or I'm buying whatever, I revi- I read the reviews. I read the reviews on eBay. And so forth. You know, it's. I think it's very good to read the reviews here. Yes, you do get paid reviews by the producer of the thing, um, but you know, I think it's fairly reasonable. You know, you know, this is a good. Um, this is a good. If the tool is primarily physical in nature, you know, reading reviews is a good idea in this sense of what is and isn't a good thing here. There might, you know, this is a good refrigerator. There doesn't necessarily maybe maybe the aesthetics or something like that would be different here, but. When it comes to movies, I'm always of two minds. Do I want to know what Rotten Tomatoes thinks of it? Because I could always counter-signal, because i like, well, Rotten Tomatoes gave that an 86% rating. I think some of the Star Wars films also have similar ratings. So you think, well, 
well, do do I am I just gonna troll watch it or so to speak? Uh, I'm not gonna give it a chance. Well, again, I only have you know thirty five thousand days or so. Um, so I don't. Let's go back to scarcity. I don't really want to watch it anyway. Um, so so in that, in that sense, reviews can filter out. Um, um, because even though only a certain amount of things get do get made, as I think TP was saying, a huge amount of production today, you do have to sort of somewhat filter out things. Um, um, but there, for example, Paul Gottfried of uh, Cotto and Gottfried recommended a film. I watched it. I I I didn't like it at all. Um, just. Just as a thing, and I, I've uh, the, one of the uh, books by I think the C.S. Lewis I was recommended to read. I didn't like it at all. I like some of C.S. Lewis's other stuff. Um, so, so, and actually, Orwell's I like. I really like Keep the Aphrodites to Flying. It's a book by Orwell. It's apparently the book that everyone hates by Orwell. I loved it. <laughs> so it's 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 so in this sense, you know, I don't think you can escape reviews. Now, of course, there is a power structure at bay here. Uh, I can imagine an alternate universe where the, the Japanese and German Empire won either World War One or World War Two, and different maybe the world's less democratic, maybe different things. I can imagine there's actually books about and books and films about this very topic here. Uh, so I can imagine competing, you know, things being the case here. But I still think certain things in this sort of alternate world would still be roughly the same here. Um, you know, it seems like the communists liked a lot of. Like, like if you, I think in uh, Stalingrad, there's an, uh, which is, uh, I forget the, what the name it is. Actually, it might still be called that. But there's a monument to the victory of the Soviet forces there. I think if you if you called up uh, soccer, uh, Plato or you called up, um, um, uh, I don't know, some uh, English aristocrat of the 1700s or French aristocrat, they would say, oh, this is a beautiful monument for a war victory here. Even though it was sort of, you know, uh, in a sense, same with the Moscow State University, which is, uh, this is a beautiful looking building here. So, you know, I think, um, and actually, speaking of good art, apparently Kyoto, a very famous city in Japan, was saved because um, some guy, some American guy in the 1920s went there and thought it was so beautiful, and they're making uh, lists of firebombing and nuclear bombing. He said, no, don't bomb them. That city's beautiful. And that's basically why we didn't burn that city down to the ground. So maybe maybe that's the key to making good art. Make good art so good that your enemies don't want to destroy it um, 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 in, in the name of collateral damage. Um, um, so maybe that's maybe that's the standard of good art here. But so who gets to decide here? Again, that's a, that's a very political question here. I don't think that's new here. So Keith Preston was saying, well, the cultural wars are going to get exported. I think in a recent stream, whether cultural wars will get exported to places like India and Japan, He's starting to see that sort of proto-version happen. I think the cultural wars have been happening since time immemorial. It's just that culture wars now are everyone participates because it's democracy in that sense. Whether actually what everyone does have a right to participate, ability to participate is a good question here, um, which is not really the efforts here. But TPI rambled on here. That's my final question here, and for both of you, of course. Um, who gets to decide here? Like, that's the question. And then and as far as the reviews and your own self, do you read reviews? I mean, I read product reviews, but film reviews, I, ugh, book reviews, it's it's a very thing, like, are you just gonna, like, repeat what the reviewer says about the book? It's it's very, it's a very tough dilemma, I, I see. TP? Yeah, that's a really great question. Well, yeah, not to offer the most uh, uninteresting answer possible, but I think when you ask, uh, you know, who decides what is good art and what isn't, 
uh, rather than, you know, attributing it to, you know, oh, it's just the Hollywood executives or it's just it's just those damn academics or it's just uh, X, Y, Z. It's the it's the enlightened elders of the, you know, of Zion or something like I, I think uh, I think the reality of it is that it's a very complex uh, bureaucratic collection of all of those. And also, I would say um, it's also mass society's responses to these uh, declarations of what is good art and what isn't uh, to be part of the equation. Um, you know, there's bands like, uh, oh heck, like Nickelback or uh, bands like that that are just so, um, just so easily digestible and that have different you know slight different song styles that can appeal potentially to wider demographics that uh mass society also in sort of an abstract way or maybe in a passive way uh, also decides uh what is good art and what isn't um i think uh, you know swithin said earlier that uh that uh you know there's forms of art that are, you know, crass forms of art that are less accessible than, say, something like opera. And I, I believe that's the case 100% as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, as for myself, um, I've been a metal musician for 15 or 16 years now. And, you know, the, the reasons for why metal is such a underground, non-mainstream phenomenon is uh those reasons are pretty clear i mean first of all the music is just very very aggressive the vocals are there's there's no singing i mean there's lots of metal genres now where there's lots of singing and it's very symphonic or it can be very uh melodic uh you know there's there's the band that's uh you know blind guardian demons and wizards uh iced earth Iron Maiden, yada yada, those types of bands. That, that, that's not really the metal genre I'm speaking about. That you know the the kind I'm talking about is like uh, Cannibal Corpse. Uh, and if anyone ever asks me, you know, who's doesn't know anything about metal or has never listened to it or doesn't really care about it, and they want an example, I usually just tell them. I usually ask them if they've ever seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and if they remember this the scene where he walks into uh, the club and the band is playing, and that band I'm playing is actually Cannibal Corpse, and it's just very, uh, it, it's some of the guitar riffs and the music they're they're difficult to discern right there on the spot, and of course the vocals are even less discernible, and it's the the music is related to uh, you know death and war and Satanism and evil and uh, think things like that, and so, um, yeah, it's not lost on me why 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 metal or at least death metal you could say is is so uh, inaccessible because it, it it's inaccessible first of all on purpose it, it's an it's an extreme music genre that uh, involves uh, or at least what I'd like to think involves um, more it requires a higher skill level of uh, of composition and individual instrument capability than say something like punk rock or reggae or things like that and so um i guess the accessibility variable here is what determines um what is good art as well because you know most people uh and this is not some sort of nihilistic 
uh, Nietzsche and Black Pill, but many people are very simplistic and that simplicity typically bleeds over into artistic preferences. And, you know, I mean, if you were to travel the South in the 1920s or maybe a little bit further, if you were to travel the South, the American South in say the 1960s, um, and you were hoping to find, uh, a, you know, a Southerner, a, a man playing a banjo on his, uh, on his porch, you know, what he thought of, of, uh, you know, quote unquote, Negro jazz or, or things like that. You know, he either, you know, had never heard of it, doesn't care to, you know, look into it. You know, he, he, he's discovered what he likes and the cement has sort of settled and, and things are just sort of crystallized. And, there, while there's nothing wrong with that per se, um, when that mentality or that simplicity is applied across populations of tens of millions of people, then that is going to create a response from the investor class. And, you know, if we are in some sort of alternate universe where the culture was completely different and and death metal was, you know, took took the place of pop... Well, then the investor class would simply, you know, adjust accordingly. And so, um, but I think, you know, if enough noise is made and enough disdain is made about bad pop music or, you know, now there's like these hideous uh, uh, hybrids between country and and rap. And, you know, that most of that has sort of fallen flat on its face because it was sort of like this... Uh, anti-artistic experiment that basically came from the investors of these different labels and just are are really looking to cash out on on certain things like you know take advantage of uh the strengths of of these different genres and then just slap them together in some type of uh hideous postmodern art piece uh sort of way and so if if there's enough rejection from society at large then it'll it'll die a horrible death but um if things are released, which constantly get either, you know, a 51% approval rating from, from the public, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, then that will, uh, then that will simply endure. And then, you know, it might change slightly over time. But, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say too, is that, you know, when you listen to modern pop music, there are YouTube channels out there that they will take Michael Jackson songs or Huey Lewis and the news songs or, even like Lady Gaga songs or Lana Del Rey, and they'll take the songs and then they'll distill it down into a 16-bit format, so it sounds like uh, it's come, it's being played out of a Super Nintendo. Um, the reason why I'm saying this is that it's actually kind of fascinating to listen to music or these popular songs that way because it uh, it at least reveals uh, structurally what's going on. It's not that that's not accessible either you know, when you're listening to the, the original song itself, it's just that it, it's so, uh, structurally linear, like it, it's laid out in a linear way that you, you sort of throw your hands up. You're like, Oh, I, I, I get why this is so, so damn popular because, you know, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, finish out with the chorus, repeat it twice. And, uh, you know, and dust your hands off and ship it off to the factory and get it uh, shrink wrapped and 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 uh, and get it into stores or, or in, nowadays it's just it's, it's Spotify or it's YouTube Music or or iTunes or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to, I guess you could say, absorb music that way. Um, 
And then, oh, sorry, one last comment I'll say too is that you have like, you know, popular uh, mass society of like what most people consider good music and, you know, much of that is pop music. But then I think there's a whole, uh, you know, the internet has made has made it easier for people who have similar tastes in music that might be considered niche or inaccessible or avant-garde, if you don't mind the, uh, you know, the, the pretentious uh, nature of that label or potentially pretentious nature of that label. But it, it, the internet makes it so that people can sort of uh, hang out with each other and sort of uh, stroke each other's ego or, or just simply discuss uh, why they like what they like. And, I think that that is, uh, I mean, I think overall that that's a, a good thing. I, the, the, the negative, the downside to that is that these people might be in a, uh, a self-imposed echo chamber to where, you know, they're simply people that will never, uh, you know, a lot of my metalhead buddies, they'll simply never be exposed to Felix Mendelssohn or, uh, or Wagner or Tchaikovsky or, or uh, Aldi Miola or you name it. So, um, but you know, and that's okay. I, I I think you can't expect the modern person to just, you can't expect their heart to grow as wide as the world and their curiosity simply go along with it. Um, I think the three of us have a much higher curiosity and interest in lots of different types of music, but, uh, but you know, for the average person, for the Japanese businessman or for the goat herder in Kazakhstan, I mean, I, I don't think we should really expect these people to just, uh, become, uh, citizens of the world and, uh, have Madonna lyrics memorized and, uh, or, or, you know, be able to quote the same, uh, Marvel and star Wars movies. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> As to, um, who decides what's good. Um, I think, um, if you have a sufficiently wide exposure to a particular area, I think basically anybody is competent to make a judgment. That's not to say that, the judgments will all be good. Um, but I mean, I think for instance, so, I mean, I think for instance, I'm competent to give a decent review on film and TV because I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of things that have been suggested, the greatest films of all time, the greatest TV series, etc. I've seen them. And so I think I'm in a decent position to do that. Uh, I can do it with books less so, Music, yeah, to some extent, depending on the genre. And a good example of this, actually, and other people in other domains recognize this, I'm quite interested in food. And the most well-known uh, food guide uh, is the Michelin Guide, the French one. And um, the top-end restaurants, what they strive to do is to get a three-star review uh, because that, that basically confers on to you world-class status of one of the world's great um, restaurants. People will go on holiday just so that they can go to a three-star restaurant. Um, and what is interesting, I found, I was looking at the differences between the Michelin Guide, and there's also something called the AA, the Automotive Association, do some reviews here, and what the differences were between them. Uh, and I can't remember, it was a bit ambiguous what's the differences between them, but uh, what's notable is the Michelin Guide refused to rate one incredibly expensive restaurant in London um, it's like 310 pounds a head and all they do is sushi from the sushi master who worked in um, Japan and then came into London they simply won't review it under the view that well, we don't know if it's any good or not we don't have sufficient encyclopedic knowledge of what one can do with sushi 
that we can give it a reasonable rating. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I do the same. I don't think I could give a competent review. I can say if I like it or not, but whether or not it, it's a, a good sort of ob- objective-ish uh, review, I mean, you, you don't know the contours of the area well enough to be able to give um, give a, a, a sufficient review. I mean, the same thing I, I would say with, with like painting. Can I really give a... a Am I competent to review painting? Not really. Um, so I think those people are more or less competent. That's not to say that your view is necessarily wrong. Uh, I mean, just with exposure to different music styles, um, Roger Scruton said that he he liked doing some, uh, I don't know who he did them with, like art appreciation classes. Uh, music appreciation, sorry. And uh, how um, they said, oh, he liked Lady Gaga. And basically the, the exercise was um, Scruton would play what he liked and explain why and they play what they like to explain why it was and scrutiny sort of like point out how you know structurally his was more complex or whatever and um now i don't know the results of this whether they actually liking the stuff he liked more but it was a way of sort of um getting people to be attentive to what's there because i think that's the case with mainstream music it's quite simple because well the masses are quite simple now i'm not trying to say that in a derogatory sense but they just are i mean they're not hugely intellectually sophisticated um, Ed Dutton did a video on like, like intelligent people like classical music. Well, it's more complicated, so it's more difficult to follow. And if you're not really up on on that, you, you're not really going to get into it, which I think make, make, makes makes entire sense. Um, so we, we're just going to have to recognise that there's, there's certain things that are just not going to be um, hugely, hugely popular. Um, but that, But again, what I would say is, um, go back to my first point is that I don't think it's a case that it's just purely subjective. There is something there that you can uh, discuss over in the same way you can say you know, whether an argument is a good argument or not. I mean, the fact that people disagree on, for instance, whether the cosmological argument for the existence of God works doesn't necessarily mean that your view on that is entirely subjective. And I think this is where a lot of things of art go well, because people disagree. Therefore, it must be subjective, which they don't really apply anywhere else. Um, but I, I, I would recognise that there does, there's definitely more subjectivity in art than there is in other things. Uh, I'd just now like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The more people can get this material and more people can, the higher we get in the search rankings. I'd also like Summer Philosophy for appearing because I forgot. But finally, if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all, please contact us at mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com.